right, it's nine o'clock. Happy hump day. It's Joycelyn Wells with Joy Exposed. And it's Wednesday, February 5th, 2020. Gosh, this is moving right along, right? So I think this is our fifth um, Joy Exposed this year. So um, we are moving right along. Hi, Cecilia. Hi, Chance. So welcome, everybody. Let's get started. So we're doing three cheers of joy tonight, of course. I have my cocktail and my non-Yeti. Um, I have a Milagro Silver Tequila, and it was my first time trying it. And uh, it was actually, it's actually pretty good. So I've got some lime in there, so I'm drinking a little of that. And I'm drinking a little Diet Coke. I've been drinking this for a few hours. I'm trying to cut down on my Diet Coke consumption. I do that every few years. So now I get the little ones instead of the 20 ounce. But anyway, so let's get started. Three cheers of joy. So uh, welcome. My first cheer of joy. Now, if you don't know, a cheer of joy for me, three cheers of joy is something, some goodness that happened in my week that is for me. I'm not because I'm proud of somebody else, but just for me, selfish moments of celebration. So my first cheer of joy is that um, my students made it. I got all of my students to complete a science fair project this year. So for you guys who don't know, I teach an alternative school. And by the time they get to me, they've already been in trouble. So um, in, our, in my class, I got everyone to complete a science fair project. So I'm really excited about that because I realize that the kids haven't had an opportunity to participate in the projects and stuff because their behaviors or lack of resources, whatever. So they're able to do that. This is my third, this is my fourth year doing it at this school. So, and they didn't do it before me. So that's good. That's my first cheer, my first cheer of joy. Um, my second, oh, so cheers to that. My second cheer of joy is that I can recognize when it's time for me to be grateful, just to kind of submit to the goodness around me and just kind of take it. I've missed a lot of goodness and I kind of made a post about it yesterday talking about um, that I honestly believe if I didn't participate in self-care, if I didn't make that a priority, that I'd really miss a lot of the good stuff happening around me. And so I'm really happy that I'm able to, I'm to that place now that I know that taking care of me trumps anything else. Like if I can't take care of myself, nothing else good is happening around me. I'm really just kind of clawing at the bit, trying to get it to happen. So cheer to self-care. It's my second cheer of joy, self-care. Mm. My third cheer of joy is I don't think I celebrated this yet, but it came up on my timeline from last year that I was selected teacher of the year at my school. So it's my own little black history fact, right? So black history month, my black history fact is I was uh, selected te teacher of the year at my school, second year in a row. So cheers to that. And I take those things kind of lightly, just kind of in stride because I'm now switching my thought processes to education, to teaching being my primary job, to running my um, Shape Solutions publishing and um, as my second job. So now they're switching places, right? So the teaching is becoming my second job and the Shape Solutions is becoming the first job. So that in itself is a celebration. 
but it all depends on how your mind is tweaking it, right? So that's my new mind tweak. So cheers to Teacher of the Year. So my three cheers of, of joy tonight was, look at that, I already forgot the first one. Oh, the Science Night. All of my kids participated in Science Night and everybody completed a project. So I'm very happy about that. My second cheer was, um, Learn, recognizing when it's time for me to submit to the goodness around me and taking care of myself. That's my self-care. And the third cheer of joy was being selected teacher of the year for the second year, uh, second year in a row at my school. So I'm really, uh, you know, I'm really kind of, that's a big, that's a big deal at my school. So I'm trying to make sure I pay attention to it and that I'm not just kind of like, oh, whatever, because it is a big deal for your colleagues to think that you're the best at what's going on there. So I was very pleased with that. Hi, Steph. Hi, Chris. Hi, Shamir. So the moon is in cancer. Makes sense to cry today. Aha. Uh -huh. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for telling me that. So I um, talked about earlier this morning when I got up that I knew it was a hump day, but I felt like it was a cry day. And I don't, I'm not a big crier. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, I'm not a big crier. And I talked about this a little last week and I, oh, I need to apologize for last week too, because I, sometimes I forget that my thoughts on sorrow and that sometimes my thought and death can be kind of morbid. And I hope that you guys didn't leave the show last night. I mean, last week thinking, man, Joycelyn is crazy as fuck, right? So I'm hoping you didn't leave thinking that because I know that I can be a little morbid in the way that I think. And um, we were talking about the death of Kobe Bryant. And I was talking about how I really don't have a when it comes to death, I don't have a place of sorrow. I just know that death is like the culmination of this, um, these ama amazing events in your life. And that's when you get to let it all go and move over to the other side. So I think my view on death may be slightly different. Um, and I've learned that, uh, <laughs> I've learned that over the years in situations where I've had to face um, go through a situation with death. I've never, I don't know that I've actually been in a situation where I thought I was going to die, but it is something that I kind of look forward to. You know, it's kind of like max this life out, do all you can do, and then you're going to die. And that's going to be like, ha I made it. So I just need to apologize because it was a little more, but I went back and listened to it. It wasn't bad. It was really good information and it was honest. So, um, but I did have to be like, Wow, that was kind of morbid. I had actually had a conversation after the show last night, I mean, last week with Faceless Love. And I was like, that was a little morbid, right? And he was like, yeah, a little bit. And so we were talking about how when you look at situations, you don't really feel any, I don't feel any sorrow in them that you just kind of go through them. And so he had, he had told me earlier that he had been called out on that before and it sounded a lot, a lot like him. But he made it a point to say the difference in how he handles the difference in us in those situations. He said that he is still aware that people around people around him are affected, and I'm not. <laughs> so I was like, "What?" He said because he still he recognizes that he lacks that 
but he still makes it a point to tread lightly because of the people around him. And I don't, like, I literally don't. I'm just like, okay, and keep it moving. So, you know, that's a kind of a softness and he kind of brings that softness, um, compassion where I may not have it, right? So I really appreciate him pointing that out. We've had a conversation similar to that before where we talk about solving problems or going through situations. I'm like, he uses a steak knife and I use a sword, right? So he's like cutting it with the steak knife and I'm like, I just end it. Like, I'm just trying to get through it. That's just the difference in processing. So anyway, I just wanted to go back and apologize for being a little morbid and, you know, it was a tough week this week. Um, saying goodbye to Kobe that, you know, that was a big deal. Super Bowl was this week. I had lunch with my ex-husband's new wife last weekend. Ugh, that's going to be probably the crux of what I talk about tonight. And I already said that people are really going to have to stop fucking with me because I have a whole podcast and I'm going to talk through this stuff to my audience because I get a lot of good feedback. <laughs> so we'll talk about that in a bit. So anyway, so that was my three cheers of joy. I'm drinking Milagra tequila tonight and it's time to move on to the Facebook post of the week. So let's see. Stephanie says, hi, hi, Stephanie. Stephanie is making me a new t-shirt that I'm going to wear. Um, to this festival that I'm going to next week. So I'm looking forward to getting that. She's like such a great resource to have because she's, I can have an idea about something and she can put it into action right away. So I um I really appreciate her for that. Stephanie specialties. But when I wear the shirt, I'll take a picture so you guys can see. So we're going to move on to Facebook post of the week. First thing I have to talk about and this, I've seen this post come up a couple times and it's talking about a woman being in the situ in the position of being raped. There's a lot of misconceptions about what rape is. And I actually had a conversation with a guy and this is strictly from Facebook. So I'm just putting this out there. So if you had any questions now, you'll have less questions, but a guy was trying to say that it's not rape if it's not taken by force. And I was like, that's not true. He was like, how is it true? If you take it by force, that's the only way that it's rape. So I kind of went to some statutes about what rape is, how it's defined. Um, so I kind of went through that and I screenshot it and put it on there. And he ain't never replied after that. So maybe he did or maybe he didn't read it. But if you're in a situation, a, a sexual situation or not, and you say no, then no is no. Male or female, rape can go either way. So no, if no is no, right? No means no. There, and even if you say no and the action continues to coerce you to say yes, it's still rape. If you're in, if you say no, that's the answer. So a lot of times, I think men have a problem. Men have a problem understanding that because everybody thinks of rape as this violent sexual act. And now I'll be the first to admit, I've been in a situation where I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it and uh, you keep going and it's kind of insistent and you do it anyway and you leave it and you feel like shit, but you don't really think you're raped because you kind of gave into it. But that's coercion. And a lot of times women have been in those sexual situations. I mean, from young, even as adults, you've kind of been in that situation where someone wants to um, have you, even if you've said no. 
So I had to kind of talk about that just briefly because I have a growing man who's almost 17 and I need for him to understand if at any time the no is no is uttered or resistance, that's a wrap. I don't care. And this, I guess, is probably hard to get past your feelings of what you want to do and when you get on autopilot. But to protect yourself, hey there, Tabitha. Hi, LaShondra. Hi, Sheree. To protect yourself, you have to be able to say no. And you have to be able to walk away from the situation. And sometimes people think, well, you were going to do it anyway. You came to my house at 2 a.m. You did this. Whatever. If no is uttered, that train needs to stop because that could be a possible, that could be rape for you. That's how you look at it. I could go to prison for rape for this moment. So it's really hard to have that conversation because people look for their own cues. And then men seem to think that there's some kind of Mac if they get you to change your mind in after you've said no, that's just coercion and it's still rape. So I want to spend a brief moment talking about that just to kind of put that out there just in case anybody was wondering or had ever wondered or had ever been in the situation that you're like, no, and somebody's making you say yes. So I, you know, that was really interesting because there were several men on there making a comment about, um, making a comment about it not being rape if they didn't take it or if they didn't force it. So that um, just was really interesting uh, to me because I thought by now people understood rape or, you know, what it is, you know, what comprises, what, you know, makes up a rape. What are the boundaries when it comes to taking something from somebody? So, um, yeah, so I wanted to share that. So that's one of my Facebook posts of the week. Um, another Facebook post of the week I had, uh, no, I did that last week. So let me go look at this real quick. So there was a guy, I, um, am on this board, not board, I'm like sick of comment board or people go there and ask questions called Quora, Q-U-A-Q-U-O-R-A. And so the question says, I'm a narcissist with no supply at this moment, and I feel miserable. What can I do? And so it was kind of, I read it and was like, is this seriously a narcissist talking about they don't have anybody to manipulate and mistreat? So I went on and read the answer, read it, and it says, the lady who replies says, I have a hard time believing you're a narcissist and thinking it's more likely you are a narcissist wannabe. So now that's the thing where narcissists are getting so much attention. There are people out there who want to be, right? So you're a narcissist wannabe because you like the idea of being some studly dude who can sucker women into bed or whatever. For one thing, a narcissist rarely admits he or she is a narcissist. Now, people... I love that because and there's never a person that says, oh, I'm a narcissist. I mistreat people. Like there's never anybody says that. We can pick them out because we know who they are. We know the qualities of them, but nobody owns it. And this person in, in this question was owning it. And the number two, he or she certainly would admit that he doesn't have a supply and a narcissist would never ask for advice on getting a supply. That's what makes them a narcissist. Ah, right? So you never ask for it. And number four, a narcissist is never without supply. He either has it or is luring a new target, hunting for new supply, or love 
bombing old supply, right? We know, all of us know some of that. Because being a way of life, narcissist is a way of life. It affects all areas of the narcissist's life. Family relationships, that which includes parents, siblings, children, not just the romantic partner. And it's a narcissist is a narcissist 24-7, right? So I really thought that was interesting. And um, number, the last one, it says, a narcissist assesses everyone they meet to determine their value or usefulness to the narcissist. So every single person in may or may not be of use, but it's not by chance. They're already scoping them out. This was probably one of the most in-depth um, explanations, um, layman's terms of what a narcissist is because it laid out, it kind of pointed to those areas that we didn't think about. We think about a narcissist using their lover or girlfriend, guy friend, whatever, but we never think about the narcissist using their family. So when you, if you think of the narcissist in context of that, you have to think we all have someone in our family that's ready, that's trying readily to manipulate and misuse people in the family. And, you know, they are in fact narcissists and they're not just limited to the people that they're seeing. So I guess that would probably be my, um, I'll just say my post of the week because it's not necessarily Facebook, um, but it was definitely something that I wanted to share. All right, so let's move on. It is, okay, so here's, let me talk about this a little bit, and I got it. People have to understand that I do, in fact, do this podcast, and it helps me with my thoughts and my movements, and it's helping me to grow as a person, so I'm going to talk about this a little bit. So about two weeks ago, my ex-husband's new wife called me and asked me to go to lunch, or she asked me for a cup of coffee. And I said, sure. But when she wanted to go, I didn't get to go. We didn't get to go because our schedules were so busy, right? So the whole week went by and then on the weekend went by and we didn't have, um, we didn't meet for coffee. So Sunday, no, Monday uh, after, the Monday after, I guess it was about it was last month, so about a week ago, a week and a half ago, I sent her a message and said, hey, I didn't hear back from you. Hope everything's good. Let me know if you still want to get together and go to lunch. And she said, okay. She said, what about, no, I said, my week is slammed, so it would have to be the weekend. So we, did, we agreed we would go on Saturday before Super Bowl. So she picked a restaurant, which was no problem. So I usually call her my wife-in-law, because it's like a term of endearment, right? She's married to my ex-husband. She spent time with my children. You know, no big deal for me. Our kids are grown, except the youngest one is almost grown, 17. Almost 17, so it's really no big deal. And um, so I'm like, okay, cool, I'll go to lunch. We never spend any time alone together. So it's no problem. I don't really, you know, I've said it before, I don't really feel a lot of fear. I think I have a good sense of people and characters and I didn't expect it to be any drama other than, you know, a little conversation that we had a few weeks ago, but we didn't even have it. I had it with my ex-husband, so whatever. So we met for lunch at this Mexican restaurant, which was fine. And we met for lunch at one o'clock and we didn't leave until like 4.45. So we literally sat there talking, you know, we laughed and just chatting, no biggie. So the whole thing that came out of, for me, the whole thing that came out of the lunch is that she was saying that, okay, my ex-husband and I will have a family meeting with our kids still. 
not often, every year, year and a half. Not, it doesn't happen very often, but we do it kind of monumental times. So I called a family meeting a few weeks ago and I didn't know that her wanting to meet with me was based on us this family meeting. And we haven't even had it yet. It's not until the 23rd of this month. So it's not even like instant. This was, I think when I set the date, I told him February 15th, he said he'll be out of town. So we made it the next Sunday. No big deal. Well, she's telling me as we're talking, and I mentioned the family dinner, family meeting. She says, well, you know we're not coming, right? And I said, why not? Like, okay, whatever. She says, well, we're not coming because he wanted to have a family meeting and it wasn't about what you want to have a meeting about. And I said, well, have a family meeting. Like, I don't, you know, y'all know I'm kind of airhead. So I'm like, have a family meeting. I don't know. And so when you call it, you have a family meeting. But she wanted me to understand that them having a family meeting didn't include me in the family meeting. So she asked me, what do I think of when I think of family? And I said, well, me and him and our children, you, anybody connected, it doesn't matter. And she said, well, that's not what I see. That's not how I see family because I don't consider my ex-husband and his new wife when I'm playing when I'm planning something. So I said, I think my smoke alarm is going off. So I said, um, well, I'll always consider my ex-husband in everything that we do. So as long as it have to do with the kids, I'm not excluding him. Like, so my ex-husband and I, whatever, have a lifetime of living together not living physically together but we're gonna live and do things and our children are part of it our grandchildren that means graduations funerals marriages whatever my ex-husband is when it has to do with the children and something's happening my ex-husband's always considered well she was saying that she didn't feel that way so i was like well don't come like okay well y'all don't don't come it's fine i said well I said, the reason we're having the meeting is because we're getting to these monumental spaces in our life. Our son is getting ready to go to college in the next year and a half. Our oldest daughter is back in college. Our middle child is getting ready to go to college. And I'm going to be moving in the next year and a half, two years. So I'm like, I'm like, we have a lot of stuff to happen, like to go on and to kind of map out that there's expectations for what's happening with everybody and that we're aware of the fact that there are children. So we just go on, we have this whole meeting. And we talked for three and a half, three, three hours and 45 minutes, almost four hours, we sat there and we talked. And she was, I think she was trying to tell me how much she loved my kids, like how much she wants to be a part of their lives and she loved them, you know. I don't know that she actually used the word love ever, but just that like she want to make sure that our son is ready when he leaves the house to go to college and i'm all for it because remember i'm the non-custodial parent so i'm not there on the daily daily of him getting all of his shit together i'm not but you know i am close enough that we are involved but i am non-custodial so what she was talking i understand make sure he cleans up he clean up after himself and which i don't have a problem with him when we're together him cleaning up after himself like so that's not a big deal for me i don't when we're together we're traveling or doing our thing we never have to talk about if he's cleaning up or what he's doing anyway so we go through we have this whole conversation she made mention that she thinks that if 
I'm not invited to their events or family meetings that she thinks our daughters won't come. And I said, they may not. I don't know. I'm I'm not going to tell them to go like y'all need to go. That's on her and Mike's husband to develop that relationship of communication with them that they want to go because remember they're adults. <laughs> so they make, they can choose what they want to do or not. But when mom is concerned and mom says we're having a family meeting or mom says da 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 da, they're kind of, they're on board because mom has always done the stuff. So I think what she wanted, I think what she wanted was for me to kind of hand my kids over to her to be like, oh, I'll talk to them. They'll come when y'all have your meeting. They're okay with me not being, I think she wanted me to give that, like to, but I can't give that. They're adults and their relationship with their dad is their relationship with their dad. Anyway, so there was nothing wrong with that, but I left feeling nonplus. Like it didn't matter one way or the other, other than I had a couple great margaritas and some yummy fajitas. And I'll go back to that Mexican restaurant. And you know, it was good to kind of see her and talk talk to her many of the things that she talked about sound a lot like me like she likes to do yoga she just recently started locking her hair she's in education so many things we have in common and the thing that we have in common for sure is my ex-husband her husband that is the thing that links us right so that's us that's our thing um so we just kind of chatted we left she went where she was going I went home. I never really got a good feeling out of it, other than not a bad feeling either. So there was a no, necessarily no feeling. The girls asked me, how did it go? And I'm like, it was fine. We talked, we talked, we talked, you know, but they were like, well, did you get mad? And I was like, no, nah, it wasn't that because I don't really get mad. We talked, Remember I told you guys, I don't really get mad because I kind of take people as they are. What the fuck you talking about? Let me hear, let me hear. Well, I have to say that I'm in a really good place in the universe. I I just feel like I'm on the coasting highway to being of my purpose. Like I'm there, I'm just coasting along, minding my business. Cause keep in mind, she asked me to lunch. I went to lunch. She's talking about my children and my son, getting him ready to, to go to college and how, you know, what the relationship means. And she would never hurt him and da 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 da. She's giving me the rah-rah about my kids. Right. Well, not even 24 hours later, my son ends up in the hospital to have emergency surgery. Okay. Mind you, I had lunch. We had a conversation. She's expressed how she feels about my children and all of that. My son has to go to the hospital for an emergency appendectomy. So I got a call Monday morning. I'm taking Quentin to the hospital from his dad. I'm like, okay, what's wrong? He told me what's wrong. I talked to Quentin. Quentin was telling me what's wrong. That's fine. So I was at school. I was at work. And um, I get a text from my ex-husband. Quentin has to have surgery at um, 4 o'clock. Of course, I'm panicked. Not necessarily a panic, but I have to get into motion because I now I need to get ready to leave work so I can be at the hospital for the surgery. So I left work, went to the hospital, before he got into surgery, I was there. We talked, you know, got him, you know, he went through the prep, got set up, everything. So my thought the whole time that I'm there and my, when I got there, my ex-husband left because he had been with him all morning. So he went to tidy up some stuff at his office and then he was going to come back before he went into surgery. Now, 
I don't know if it's the way I think that makes shit just seem left to me. I don't know. But I just had a conversation with his ex-wife yesterday about the importance of my children in her life. So my thinking is when she got off work, she was going to do what? Come to the hospital, right? There's going to be a surgery of our son, who she's making sure he's safe and he's ready to go to college, who she's taking an active role in his life and, you know, talking to him any kind of way, the way she talks, you know, I, whatever, she gave me the whole rundown. So he goes into, my ex-husband came, he goes into surgery. I'm sitting there, you know, of course, where am I going to go? I'm, there's nowhere I want to be, but right there, because it's my son. So I sit there with him. My ex-husband came back, left, and then came back before he came out of recovery, which was no problem. So we're there. We get up. They get him out of recovery. He goes up to his room. My ex-husband and I are there. You know, he wakes up. Still no ex-wife. No text message. No phone call. To me, anyway, now, my ex-husband may have been in communication with her. However, the way that she expressed her level of concern for our children my thought process, and maybe I was wrong to put my mommying instinct on her or what I would do. And I know that's fucked up. And I preach about that. Don't do that. However, she came to me letting me know how important he was to her. So nothing. So my son's out of recovery. My ex-husband goes home for the night. I spend the night at the hospital, right? Balancing out in chairs. And none of that matters when your son has been in surgery. Your kids have been in surgery. So I stay. Get up in the morning, you know, all through the night, whatever. Get up in the morning. You know, we got to start trying to get up and move around, walk around, you know, all of that. We got to keep it moving. And I'm a stickler for that. Like, you want to leave the hospital, you got to do what the hell you need to do to get the fuck out of here. But you don't get to lay there and whine. I'm not big on whining. He was a big, he's a big boy. He's okay. So, you know, we got up, we're moving around. Still, his phone would ding and messages would come up from his friends. You know, people, his teachers calling to check on him. They sent a video. We miss you in school today. Da-da-da-da-da. The whole nine. Not a single text message phone call, visit from new wife, right? From new wife, none of that. So I just had to get reflective in myself to think. I literally put myself in a position of thinking that she was sincere about the words that she uttered in reference to our children. But when I thought about it, and of course opened my mind up to ideas and processes from the universe and what it actually means and I realized that she has figured out a way or thought she had figured out a way to manipulate the situation to put herself in a position of power over me our family and to show that she's relevant when within 24 hours of her words she was put to the test she was put to the test of, can you put your money where your mouth is? And she didn't. And it doesn't matter that she was talking through my ex-husband or he was giving her the lay of the land. Because if that was all that she needed, she wouldn't have fucking come to me. Why the fuck you come to me trying to do this pomp and circumstance when it's not really who you are? 
So, you know, I have to say it pissed me off. I was unhappy about it. I realized that she talked about yoga because she was finding a way to connect with me. Hell, I don't know if she listens to my podcast or not. I don't know what the kids say or my ex-husband say, but anybody who knows me know that I live and breathe me some damn yoga. Y'all know I have to keep my shit together. So that's how I stay level and that's how I stay balanced. But I just kind of sat there and was thinking she purposefully went into these pockets of places of commonalities to show me that we have things in common, but then her one up is that she's married to my ex-husband. I don't give a fuck. I was married to him. That means absolutely nothing to me. The only thing I could say, somebody being married to my ex-husband is good for you. I hope he's changed or you're one tough one to take the bullshit he dishes out. That's it. There's nothing in me wanting to uh, facilitate a marriage or intimate relationship with him. We did what we were going to do. We had three amazing children, which their shit doesn't give me an opt out. When our kids are in some shit, I have to be in the shit with them. I don't have an opt out. I don't have a let me talk to him through the phone or I'm not going to come or I'm not going to do. I have to be in that shit. That's who I am as a mother. And I think the way that she came to me and it wasn't anything aggressive because aggressive energy doesn't do well around me because I'm chill anyway. So she didn't come at me aggressive. I think she came to me as a matter of fact to tell me what's what, why what, how what, who's what, blah, 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 blah. She had this whole narrative set up of what she was going to do. But then 24 hours later, none of that shit even fucking mattered because she couldn't even or she didn't even, not that she couldn't, because I don't know, but she didn't even take a, the initiative of coming to the hospital. Now, let me give you guys some perspective on what that means coming to the hospital. The hospital from their home is less than two miles. There's always vacant spots in the parking lot because it's a small town hospital. So small town, in fact, that they weren't even going to do my son's surgery there because he's a minor and they don't do surgeries on minors there. They send them to another hospital. But because he's almost 17 and he's 5'10 and he's looks like a man in stature, the surgeon said, okay, I'll do it. This is how small town the damn hospital is. And there's so for me, there's no excuse why if you're going to sit up and chew my ear off about the importance of my children in your life, but then you can't come up and do what is important or what's needed, then what the fuck? Why did we spend that time the day before? So for me, I'm like, well, we're she's in a good place. She wants to be active. Let me give her the active role. And check this shit out. To add more to it, I sent my ex-husband a message and said, hey, check with her to see to see if it's okay if I come and stay with Quentin through the night. So this would have been night number two. He didn't respond to that message. He's been responding to my shit all day. We've been talking back and forth, coordinating who's going to be where and when and how's Quentin's doing and grabbing a bite to eat. What I picked up to eat for him, he took with him to eat. Like we've, he and I've been coordinated, but I threw that shit out there and he didn't respond. So because I can be a petty bitch at times, which I don't like to say that, but I can be. I have to take it to mean that she didn't want me at her house. 
She didn't want me at her home. And that's been stated before that she doesn't like, she didn't like when I was there another time that our son was sick. These are her own poor ass insecurities and boundaries that she's got set up, but wants me to fucking respond to him. So he didn't respond about our son, me coming to the house to be with our son. And I didn't have to sleep there just to make sure that he's comfortable, get him situated. So I'm going to take it that she said no, or that he didn't ask because he knew what her response would be. And I didn't address it anymore. So this is what I know from all of that. When people show you who the fuck they are, believe them. When they show you and then they sidle up to you to try to get you to believe because of their mouth service, their lip service, that they're somebody else, fuck that. Because what what they say they are and who they show you they are are at odds with what is. Believe what you see, not what you fucking hear. A mouth will say anything to try to get a one up on you. And that's a that's a problem for me because I do my podcast and my writings to maintain a level of honesty and transparency and shit, elegance and gracefulness even to people who listen to me and people who believe that I am moving as I say I am. What you hear on my podcast is what you see. I'm not going to give you anything different. I don't want to confuse you. I don't want to manipulate you. I don't want there to be any deceit or subterfuge. I'm straight from the fucking hip. This is Joycelyn Wells with Joy Exposed, author of The Virtues of Joy, mother of three, educator, I'm over 50. I'll give you all of that shit. I don't have a reason to lie. I don't have a reason to mislead you. And for somebody to come to me and think, this is the shit that happens when people try to manipulate you. They think they're smarter than you. They think they got a bead on you. So they're going to try to bullshit you into their lane or bullshit their way into your lane to control your movement. Fuck that. Fuck them. That's not how it works. So, on the flip side, all of this shit has passed. This is what I do know. My ex-husband has allowed a woman to talk for him. Want, 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 want. Men don't allow women to talk for them. That's not how that happens. What that essentially has said to me is he has no interest in continuing to have a good relationship or open relationship with our kids because our kids have figured out who we both are independent of each other he still has not figured out how to manifest a good relationship with himself not even with the kids with his fucking self so he can sit up and have this and shut these boundaries and these doors, not realizing that he's closing himself off into a little hole. And that maybe that's what he wants. Maybe he wants to be shut off in the hole. Maybe he wants to wipe his hands of all the shit or only celebrate the good stuff. Or maybe he likes to have a woman talk for him. Or maybe he likes to, maybe that's all shit he like. And if it is good for him for following that shit through. But it works much better when a motherfucker can say, hey, I don't want to deal with you or the kids or you and the kids. And if that's the case, fantastic. Figure that shit out with the kids. 
right? I don't have a problem with any of it. The only problem I have is for a motherfucker to sidle up to me to try to get in my lane or try to control my actions and what my thoughts are. When you fucking with me, I don't have to do shit to you. Your karma show up so damn quick. The universe show out so fucking quick. I don't have to do nothing but keep doing joy. And you're going to come up to me and try to get me to change my perspective on how I do me? Fuck that. Fuck you. This is me. And when it comes to my children, I don't have a fucking choice on how I operate. I don't get to sit back and say, well, I don't really like this, so I can't. Or, well, I don't... Fuck that. I chose them. I chose every fucking one of them to come into this world. I chose them. When I got pregnant, I wanted to be pregnant. That's how that shit worked. It didn't happen to me. No one did it to me. They're mine. I watched what I ate. I watched what I drank. I exercised. I did this. I started reading. I, these are all things that I did to make sure I had brilliant, healthy, smart fucking children. And then you want to show up at the final scene and try to tell me that your interest in my kids is important? Man, fuck that. No. So I wanted to make sure I included how I felt in this scenario because that's what people fucking do. They got a problem with you. They're going to try to manipulate and try to keep the peace because I'm sure her asking me to lunch, her my ex-husband's probably like, oh, he asked, she asking him to lunch. She asking her to lunch. She going to talk to her and da-da-da. He probably felt good about that shit. So fucking what? It don't change the fact that these are my children. It don't change the fact that you can't fucking talk to my kids and mistreat them any kind of way. Let me tell you why. Because I don't talk to my children any kind of way. We left the relationship because of the way we were being talked to. You don't get to strike my children. You don't get to with your hands or your words. My children are communicators and they are smart. And they, if they don't do something, it's because they chose not to fucking do it. And you're not going to bully them into doing it because this is what you want done. I didn't raise them that way. That's why they asses can walk their own walk and find their own path. Because I'm raising them to be fucking adults, not somebody's fucking child. And that's the truth. So I just, I'm going to wrap this up because I just need for you guys, my listeners, to understand, don't let somebody falsely draw you into a space that's not meant for you. Her intention is to get access to my children. She wants access to my children because of me. She, she knows how my children are with me. And I'm not telling them not to access her. I'm not telling them not to do anything. They're wise enough and smart enough to judge people on their fucked up character. And the funny thing is, when I mentioned this later thing, the 24 hours, 48 hours later with my kids, they said, oh, that's how she is. That's how she is. She gonna pretend like this, but she really is. They saw that shit long before me because I didn't deal with her. But they know who she is. They weren't even expecting her to be real. They expected it to be some drama, loud mouth, blah, 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 because they've seen that in her. But you can't come to me like that because I'm a fucking boss in myself and I control the energy around me. You don't get to control me. You don't get to control my thoughts, my actions, my movements. I'm walking along my path and God is my light. 
That's what I'm doing. So anybody thinking they come into my lane and fuck with me, that's okay. I ain't got to do shit, but keep traveling. This shit will come out. We'll see what it is. Don't forget, you can dial, you can download any episodes of Joy Exposed from iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and now Pandora. And I appreciate your time and I appreciate your patience. As I always say, you could be doing anything, but you chose to do me. This is Joycelyn Wells with Joy Exposed. And remember, when joy is exposed, every motherfucking thing just feels better. Good night.